Well, you know, it's a, it's a great privilege to belong to the Church of Christ, isn't it? This is His Church. And we are members of that Church together, of the Church of Christ. And that's just exciting. I just get excited about the Church. I've given, I don't know, nearly 40 years of my life to the Church. And there's been ups and downs and great times and difficult times, but the Lord is always faithful. And has seen us through some really difficult situations. Some of them I've shared with you along the way. Perhaps I'll share one or two other things that have been my experience along the way. But uh, God's so good. Let's just have a prayer. Dwell. We thank you, Lord, that this is your church. And we belong to it. And we have this tremendous Christian heritage of those who have come before us. Those who have walked that way and, and people like faithful who have given their lives for Christ. That the blood of the martyrs has become the seed of the church. And we count it a privilege, Lord, to be in that rich heritage of those who have gone before. And we're looking to you, not for the past, but for the present and the future. And we pray, loving God, that you will just speak directly into our lives today. Give us words of encouragement. Give us words of hope. And may your blessing descend and rest upon them. We pray for those who are struggling today. Those who are struggling with their faith. Those who are struggling with their health. Those who are struggling with various issues in their lives. And we know, Lord, that you're here for each one of us. And for them as well. And we pray for the, the healing flow of your spirit to be evident in our midst today. You're the son of righteousness with healing in your wings. And Lord, where there is brokenness, you can bring wholeness. Where there is confusion, you can bring certainty and hope. And we just rely upon those everlasting arms today. Cleanse us afresh from everything that's unworthy of you. That we might be in your presence with clean hands and a clean heart. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Let me read a couple of passages of scripture that are so well known to us. And if you haven't got a Bible, there's one at the back there. I just want to read it from the NIV version today, but don't worry if you've got another version there. I'm sure you'll be able to follow it. Matthew 22 verses 34 to 40 is the first of the great passages that we find in the word of God Matthew 22 I don't know what the page is on these books on the uh, uh, sorry somebody got on the page number no doesn't matter Matthew 22 verse 34 to verse 40 it's called the greatest commandment hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, such a great passage of scripture so well known if you turn with me to Matthew 28 and look at verse 16 to the end of the chapter we call that the great commission so there's a great commandment and there's a great commission and then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Powerful words. This is the great commission. Jesus' last words, if you like, to his church. I just want to kind of be a resume of what we've actually been doing over the last week. And as we do that, perhaps somebody could give out some uh, leaflets for the week. Now what we actually do here is, there are spaces to fill in if you want. But if you're a wee bit lazy, <laughs> no, no, if you're not lazy. Um, if you feel you haven't got a pen, or you don't really want to fill anything in, that's okay. Because at the very end of the service, I'll have sheets there. Ah, oh, will you come in? You come. Good to see you. Um, I'll have sheets all filled in on the table there. But sometimes it's good just to fill in some blank spaces. And, and I find it can be quite helpful to us uh, just to remember things. But we're thinking about the purpose-driven church. What Jesus is really saying to us. And the first week we were talking about surfing a spiritual wave. We are not the ones to make waves. Well, some people do make waves in church life. But we are not the ones to make waves. God makes waves of revival. He does tremendous things. He opens up people to be receptive to the gospel. There are just situations like the economics that we're going through at the present time. I mentioned before that during the time of D.L. Moody's revival, the economic situation was anything but good. And God just intervened. When things are happening in the nation, happening in the world, God can intervene in miraculous ways. And so we are not the one that makes the waves. God brings waves of revival by his spirit in his time and we need to know how to ride those waves. We need to recognize what God is actually doing in our nation, in our country as well. And then the second thing, well, last week we are talking about what drives your church. And up on the screen there we have got one or two resume there. Thanks. Uh, and what we were saying last week there are five areas of growth that we need to look at in churches. And you find these in Acts chapter 2. That was the passage we mentioned last week when we were together. He, got, he wants us to get warmer through fellowship. And we said that fellowship is not just having a cup of coffee and a couple of biscuits at the end of a service or the beginning of a service. That fellowship is something that's very, very real. It's to do with partnership, being partners together. And that's something we can mention later on. And, and deeper through discipleship. Because these, these were these new Christians in Acts chapter 2. And there was that learning process. They were going to pay attention to what the apostles were teaching. So they were going to get deeper through discipleship. Stronger through their worship as well. That worship has a strengthening force about it. And worship is not just singing. Worship is to do with the, the worship. The worth that we find in God himself. And what a tremendous thing it is when God's people worship him, not just in song, but of other very lives. Our very lives are meant to be an expression of worship. And then stronger through it, so broader through ministry. And we said last week that ministry is not just one guy up front or one person up front. That ministry has to do with the whole ministry of the church using our giftedness as God would have us. And then going larger through evangelism, we mentioned that as well. So these were the five areas of growth 
you can take the next slide five areas of growth and God added the growth and the growth was a daily thing that we find there in that passage of scripture the next one there and we said where can that health come from and it's health that's more important than growth if you have a healthy church a healthy church will grow so it's not a case of what makes our church grow. The question is, why are we not growing? What's the health of the fellowship? What's the health of those who are coming along as believers? Thanks, Karen. But let's, let's, if you put the other one in, you put the other one at the side there. Well, we, this one here. <laughs> That's the one we had to have. I did a wee resume on that one as well. That's okay. And we mentioned that there were, there were these six things we mentioned that are really what makes other churches, but drives them you might say, what their guiding forces. And one of them was tradition. What did the traditional say? We have never done it any other way than this way. We have people who are saying that. And sometimes we have to realise that God is doing something. Just open it up. Can you open it up? When you go, open it up. Yeah. yeah, it's going to come. It's coming. There we are. Can you just go a wee bit through there? Just stick it on. This is last week. Our message is, what can the church just stay there? Okay. These were the things we mentioned last week. One was, churches are driven by tradition. Or they're driven by personalities. Whoever is up front. Or they're driven by finance. What's this going to cost? <laughs> and driven by programs. What's the next program we're going to have? And then also buildings and events. And I just want to share with you some of the things that we're saying about these. The next slide. Some of the quotes we mentioned. Tradition driven church. Change is always seen as negative, And stagnation equals stability. Nothing changes here. We're very stable in this fellowship. Because we're traditional. And God never blesses that kind of attitude in the Church of Christ. And then for the financier in church, the bottom line is not how much did we save this week in the collection, but how many were saved. Who were wonderfully saved this week or this month in the Christian church? And that's so important. Then regarding the program-driven church, the goal suddenly shifts from developing people to filling positions. If a church is full of programs, the worry is then, who can I get to fill these programs? Somebody's had to step down, who can I get to fill them? I think I mentioned to you that uh, one of the leaders of Willow Creek Church has had this guy come up with a wee girl to say how sorry this wee girl was there was nobody to lead her group when she was in tears as it were all put on to get somebody to uh, come and fulfil the function and then regarding the building driven church Churchill said we shape our buildings and they begin to shape us that can be so true we shape our buildings and they can begin to shape us and then we had the events driven church a lot of activity does not necessarily mean productivity some churches are very very active but perhaps not so productive in the areas where God wants them to go. And then we said attendance must not be the sole measure of faithfulness and maturity. Don't allow the meeting to replace the ministry. So attendance is not enough. God wants to have you faithful. He wants to minister to you. Not just by being present, but by you being responding to the word of God. As we find it in scripture. Thanks. Let's go to the next one. But we said last week, all churches need to be driven by purpose.
And that takes us into the next slide, which is a new perspective, a new process. We actually mentioned that, and the next one, Sandra, as well. And until you know what drives the church, you've got no foundation, there's no motivation, there's no direction for ministry. We need a clear identity. What is this all about? Why are we here? Why do we exist? We need some kind of statement, some kind of purpose statement. That's what we're going to get this week. Next slide, thanks, Sandra. This week, a clear purpose. Let's go on to the next slide. Because, why do we need a clear purpose? Because it builds morale. If you're looking at these sheets at all, the first thing we want to do is it builds morale. I was asking somebody about the floor in the big hall. Do you remember the floor when it wasn't so good? It was like walking on something that was swaying, a bit like a, a seaside as it were. Because the foundation underneath was not good. It just was not good. And when we get the foundation of the church right, we find there's a tremendous stability. And there's seven reasons why we need a clear statement. And one of them is because it builds morale. And we find this wonderful scripture here in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Let's read it together. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thoughts. That's so important that there is a clear purpose and that really builds up morale in being united together as one people doing that thing that the Lord wants us to do in the church. And the people have to be united and come together on that. It's so important. Folks, listen to this very, listen to this very carefully. When you row the boat, you can't go about rocking it. If you're rowing, you're not rocking you're right. Those that row the boat, row the boat, don't rock it. And there are those who want to rock the boat, perhaps in church life, because they're not rowing the boat. And the Bible wants us to be united and be together, to have this clear vision, a clear purpose of what the Lord is really saying to us. And that really builds morale. When we're doing something together and we see that the Lord's got something wonderful for you in his church, it's exciting. It really is exciting. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version. Or somebody else said, Where there's no vision, the people go to another parish. <laughs> That's so true. If somebody comes along to a fellowship and they feel, Where is this place going? They find somewhere else. Because they want to know what God is saying to his church by the power of his Spirit. And God is speaking to his church by his spirit he's saying tremendous things to his church and so it's so important then that we have this this tremendous vision that builds morale the second thing it does is that it reduces frustration it reduces frustration and how is that? because it helps us forget about the things that don't really matter when you get a clear purpose, a clear statement of what God is saying to this church, it really helps you to realise, well, that aspect doesn't really matter. It may matter to some folk, it doesn't really matter to God. And that's the important thing. 
And you'll find this verse here in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. There's two versions given here. The first one, let's read it together. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And here's the good news version. Let's read it together. You, Lord, give perfect peace to those who keep their purpose firm and put their trust in you. There's no frustration there. There's peace. And God wants to have peace in his church, doesn't he? Not frustration. Real peace because they know their purpose is firm. And that's so powerful and so important. So this, this clear purpose then, it defines two things. It defines not only what we do, but it also defines what we're not going to do. And folks, you can't do everything. You can't do everything because every church, I'm sure God is saying to different churches, this is the, the mission I'm giving you and your area. This is the way I want you to go because I've put you, I've placed you here for a special purpose. And you can't do it all. You need to be saying, Lord, what do you want this church to do? And that's so important. No church can do everything. The secret of effectiveness is to know what really counts and really get on with it. I've discovered as a pastor in church life that lots of members have their own agenda. They all come with a different emphasis. And when we're looking at those five things in Acts chapter 2, we said that the thing that's going to bring growth and health to a church is a biblical stance before the Bible and also a balanced stance. And we mention this word balance because we mean that every one of these, the fellowship, the teaching, the ministry, all of that has to have an equal place. You can't have some folks saying, well, the important thing is the ministry of the church. Forget about the fellowship. All, the, all of these things are very important. And we're saying the same thing. The church ought to do this, some people say. The church ought to do that. What's God saying to us? That's what we've got to get on with. And if people come with all kinds of suggestions, and we say, well, yeah, that, that seems to fit in with the, the plan that God's given this church. We'll, we'll go with it. Or I'm sorry, that, that doesn't quite fit in at the moment anyway. Yeah, you never realise how many Sundays, special Sundays you could have. This is World Unity Sunday, and, and this is Others for Children's Sunday, and this is for that Sunday, and the next Sunday. And you could have all your church Sundays given up to what somebody is saying to, this is the Sunday for that. And we had to say as a church in, in many cases, well what are we going to highlight? Is it this mission here? Yeah, that's fine. We'll go with that mission. That mission there? Yeah, we'll go with that mission. These other missions? I'm sorry. We're concentrating on these two this year. And we're going to do well with these two missions. But if you try to do all the missions that want you to highlight everything in the church, you'd never get anywhere. Better to concentrate on a few and do that well than a many and just not do it very well at all. And so we have to watch what our agenda is in all these things. Without a purpose statement, it's easy to be frustrated by all the distractions that other folk can bring in upon us. And it's not very helpful. Some people don't find it helpful to be told, I'm sorry, but we're not going to go with that just now. But thanks for mentioning that. And we'll keep it in prayer. But we're going, to run. we're going to run with what God's saying to us at this moment in time. And sometimes we can't take everything on board because it's just too much. It's a distraction to what God may be saying at that present time. 
without a purpose statement it would be easy to be distracted and to get like Isaiah in Isaiah 49 verse 4 I haven't got it down in the sheet here it says I have laboured to no purpose I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing so a clear purpose reduces frustration the next one it allows concentration I wonder if any of you as kids played with a magnifying glass I'm sure you never did the kind of things that we did at school get a magnifying glass and let the sun shine on somebody's vein you didn't do that did you and you would burn their vein and they would be screaming out kind of thing or get a magnifying glass and let the sun come through it and the grass was sitting there nice and dry and you would see the smoke coming up I mean you didn't do a thing like that but anyway when they concentrate when you concentrate the sun's light coming through that magnifying glass on that area powerful things happen powerful things happen and the same is true that when we have a purpose statement, when we know what God is saying by his spirit, there's that focus, that concentration on the area that God wants us to think about, Julie. And I just love Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Let's say it together. Of course, my brothers and sisters, I really do not think that I have already won it. The one thing I do, however, is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead. That's powerful. Folks, forget what's behind. There's been a lot behind us. <laughs> we can put it behind us now regarding that coffee shop. Let's forget for this behind us, says Paul. This one thing I'm doing, I'm going to concentrate on this one area of the ministry that God's given me or the purpose that God's given me. I'm going to concentrate on that. I've just been to Kirk and Telf this morning and the minister there is going through the story of Joseph and can you think of all the things that Joseph went through from a pit to a palace from a palace to a prison he must have wondered Lord how long is this going to go on and the minister there was quoting uh, the fact is that one, I, did, I didn't quite catch this myself I didn't realise it I'm learning all the time isn't it wonderful as a Christian you keep learning maybe I didn't know it and I've forgotten it but you know Ephraim and Manasseh they were the two sons of Joseph and each of these sons were named because Joseph wanted to put one thing behind Manasseh means I forget the troubles of the past and Ephraim I'm actually dealing with my suffering. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. I never really either. I think it's about is it Genesis 51. He called them Ephraim and Manasseh. He actually married, was it Potiphar's daughter? Our son God's daughter that Joseph married. But the sons were very much named after Israel. Isn't that wonderful? He named Ephraim because I, 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 Manasseh. I want to put that behind me. That trouble. And he named Manasseh Ephraim because I want to, I've got through that suffering. I'm really going on with the Lord. I think it's wonderful. And here's this concentration, this clear purpose. It gives us, allows concentration to happen in our churches. Like we get focused on what's happening. Somebody said this, that uh, one of the dangers or the traps that many churches fall into is to major on minors. People major on minors. Uh, and the energy of the church is diffused and it's dissipated when we major on minors. And the, 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 the thing that we need to do is to keep the main thing, is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Isn't that right? The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Not to major on minors. And in number four, it also attracts cooperation. 
People want to join the church that knows where it's going. We had a new church in, uh, in London, Haysford Park Church, and I was the first pastor of that church. And I got this, I found this great bit of clip art in the computer. And it was a church on top of a lorry. The back of a lorry, right? There's this church. And I put underneath it, this is a church on the move. So you want to join this church? We're on the move. Are you going to join this fellowship? And it's a great picture. Maybe you could use it for the shadow. I don't really know if they want it or not. But anyway, it's a fantastic picture. And there's that tremendous cooperation before God when you're doing that. When Ezra in the Old Testament told the people about their intermarrying and what was going wrong with them, know what the people said in Ezra 10 and verse 4? Here's the Living Bible version. Tell us how to proceed in setting things straight and we'll fully cooperate. I like that version of it. The Living Bible of Ezra 10. I haven't got it down here. Ezra 10 4. Tell us how to proceed in setting things straight and we will fully cooperate. And you know this? Folks will cooperate. If you know where you're going. Is this a church on the move? Then we really want to be part of this. And the Apostle Paul was, he was so clear about his purpose. That the Philippian church says, Paul, here's the money. What can we do for you? And, and Paul was going to say about that church in Macedonia and Philippi. No church has given to the work as much as you folks have. Because they could see where Paul was going. They knew what his purpose was. And that was really, they gave all that financial support. Have you ever got on the wrong train sometimes? I get all confused. It must be age. I go into the central station, or maybe Queen Street station, and it says, it's the train at the front you have to be on. Well, I got on this train at the front, and that wasn't going where I was going. <laughs> I just realised at the last minute, it was, I was going to the front into the station but it's the front other way you know and, and sometimes it's good to know where your destination is and where you're going get in the right train and I was sitting on the wrong train it was going to Girvan down the Ayrshire and I was going to Gurak. I realised then I was on the wrong train but where are you actually going get your destination right and that's going to be so important that that cooperation will come it says here in Proverbs 11.27 If your goals, let's say it together If your goals are good, you'll be respected But if you're looking for trouble That's what you get Well that's a modern version of uh, Proverbs 11.27 He who seeks good Finds good will That's the good news version of that verse We need to tell people where our church Is heading Where are we going? Number five, a clear purpose assists evaluation it says you can evaluate that. Second Corinthians thirteen five in one version says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and test yourselves. But the version we have here is a wee bit different. Let's read it together, assist evaluation. Put yourself to the test and judge yourselves to find out whether you are living in faith. Surely you know that Christ Jesus is in you unless you have completely failed. Are we doing what God has intends us to do? And a supplementary question is how well are we doing it? You know you can get a big church that's strong or it's flabby. It can be big and flabby or big and strong. A small church can be small and stro strong or small and wimpy. You ever found that out? It can be small and strong or small and wimpy. You can be big and strong or big and flabby. 
Another point about evaluation and being purpose driven is that it takes time. It doesn't happen in a few months. It takes years to build up the church of Jesus Christ and to find that purpose that God has for his fellowship. Now, there are four things that you need to do then. Four things to have that clear purpose and Sandra will show us on the screen. We need to define that purpose, defend it. And say, this is our purpose here and we're going to defend that. We have to communicate it. We just say, I want to communicate that purpose to those who come into fellowship with us. We need to agonize around that church, that uh, purpose, that clear purpose. Organize around it and we need to apply it to every part of the church's life. And by this time you should be sitting on the end and say, well, Ali, tell us, tell us, what is that clear purpose for the church? We're at that stage now, we really want to know. And the answer is found in those two passages of scripture that we read, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. And what we find is this wonderful statement. Here is the statement of your clear purpose. Let's see it on the screen. Okay, two passages, the next one. Thanks very much. Here's the statement. A clear, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission grows a great church. Can we say that together? That a great commitment to a great commandment and a great commission will grow a great church. That's where we're at. That's the kind of statement that Jesus wants us to make. Now, if you look at these things carefully, let's go to the next one there. You'll find it. Can you go to the one before that, Sandra? Before this one here. You find these two passages, the Great Command, the Great Commission. Now, these are going to teach us something about the purpose. Just one to the next one. What you find is one is to magnify. There's two things we learn from the Great Commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And what does it mean to love God? It means to worship Him. It means to magnify the Lord. Doesn't it say in the psalm, Oh, let us magnify the Lord together. What's the word I'm... Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt His name together. That's what it says, isn't it? Well, magnify the Lord with me. And how do you love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind? And the answer is, you worship Him. You magnify Him. And we'll just keep the M's going, magnify. Then when you come to love your neighbour, how do you love your neighbour effectively? You minister to your neighbour. You love your neighbour by getting alongside, seeing where things are difficult, and getting alongside, praying for them, identifying with their needs. And we find that we call that ministry. And then it says in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. What do we call that? We call that mission. We call that evangelism. Being able to go and to share our faith with others. And then to baptize them. Wasn't it good to have a baptismal service? Not all that long ago. And that's to do with coming into fellowship. In the New Testament, people were baptized. And after they were baptized, they were added to the Christian church. And that really speaks of Christian fellowship, baptizing them, coming into the church, not only believing what the church believes, but belonging. It's good to belong, isn't it? It's good to believe, but it's wonderful to belong. And in those New Testament times, people began to belong. They got got saved, they got baptized, and they were added to the church, those who had been saved. 
And then you find maturity. They educated through discipleship. And Jesus says, and teach them all that I have commanded you, even unto the end of the age. To teach. We call that discipleship. That's why it's important that you be here. I'm so glad you came, Ross and, and Robert and the family. So glad you came. Because it's so important to be here and to find that teaching and to find that learning process. Because there's so much we need to learn. It's good to get there on Wednesday night if you can possibly be there. There's so much we need to learn about our faith. And that's why, it's, that's the statement we're saying. We're talking about magnifying the Lord. We're talking about ministry to our neighbours. Mission, membership, maturity. Folks, that's our purpose statement. And it's found in the Great Commandment. There's two of them found there. And there's three of them found in the Great Commission. And Jesus thought the Great Commission was so important. It's mentioned five times. Once in each of the Gospels and once in the Acts of the Apostles. Christ thought it so important, he mentions it five times in the Gospel story. And we want to say to each other, what is our mission statement? What is the statement that we've got to get behind? And the answer is these five areas. And if something comes to the church life that doesn't fit in with our magnifying of the Lord, of our um, ministry, our mission, our membership, or whatever it is, our maturity, if something doesn't fit into what the Lord is actually saying to us in these areas, we say, I'm sorry, we can't concentrate that just now. If it helps us in any of these areas, we'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. We'll think about it. We'll pray about it. But there are so many things that can come in and distract us. And we say, Lord, we know where we're going. This is the areas that we're going to go in. And there's a lot more to learn. And why do we want this clear statement? Because the last slide, Thunder, it builds morale, it reduces frustration, it allows concentration, it attracts cooperation, and it assists evaluation. Folks, do we have a clear purpose? <laughs> Do we know where we're going? How do we know where we're going? The Lord told us in the great commandment, the great commission. And when these two come together, we've got five wonderful helps along the way. We'll start at each one with the letter M, just to give us a wee assistance in our mind. The Lord is teaching his church. These were the last words of Jesus. The great commission, the great commandment still stands. And the great commission is still with us. And that's our purpose. That's our statement. And we want to know, how can I effectively go along that road? Next week, we'll take it a wee bit further along the way. And then I'm going away to preach the week after that. But never mind. We'll take it along next week and we'll see where we go from there. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're really saying something to us as a church. And there are reasons why you want the, the purpose to be clear. Because sometimes we just don't know where we're going. And sometimes we're wondering what it's all about. Why do we exist as a church? And we thank you for that reminder, Lord, that you have shown us in that great commandment, the great commission, that you want us to magnify your name. You want us to worship you and, and to love you with all our heart and soul and mind. And you want us to minister to our neighbours, to love our neighbours as ourselves. And you want a mission of a church that, to go to all nations and preach the gospel. 
and, and you want to do something tremendous to Lord in terms of our, day, our, our membership to be adding to the church those who have been saved and you want us Lord to into maturity to be true disciples of Jesus Lord thanks for making that so clear because that's so helpful to us in Jesus name Amen I remember, and I should have mentioned this along the way, in the church at Dunoon, I was seven or eight years there. I was all set for packing it. <laughs> you ministers have a seven-year itch. Never realised that. And uh, I said to the church, I really need a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is when you go away for a month, two months, three months in the year, and you just get before the Lord. And I went away for a month. I said, Lord, all I'm doing is a maintenance ministry. I'm not taking the church any further forward. All I'm doing is maintaining the status quo. And the Lord took me away. <laughs> down to England, believe it or not. To two or four different churches. And I got before the Lord. I said, Lord, I think I can see a way ahead. I can see I need to do this. I've not been doing that. I haven't been urging the church on in that purpose that you have for your church. And I remember coming back to the church and I said, Folks! I said to leaders, I said, I know where I'm going. I want to speak to you. I said, the Lord has shown me where I'm going. And I want to know that you leaders are going with me. And the months they began to lay things before them that God was saying, they said, Pastor, we're going with you. And I said to the church, I know where I'm going. <laughs> are you coming with me? And they said, yes, we're going with you. And that seven years became 13 years. What an exciting time it was. Because we left the old building and we took over the American YMCA at the front of Dunoon and we converted it into a church. And every week it was packed. 120 folks. Visitors there as well, of course. And I, I, said, I said to Annie, I'm so grateful I didn't leave seven years or eight years or nine years. Because in the ninth year, God did something absolutely wonderful. And see, when you know where you're going, folk want to go with you. They want to go with you. That's what we want as well. We're going to meet around the Lord's table now. And I was looking at uh, a wee poem. It's a rubbish poem. I mean, nobody... This will not get any great points in the poetic field of today, but I just like it. Here's what it says. We mean a lot to someone, and it's everything to me, that to God his wayward children were worth a calvary. It's the meaning of my Sunday. And to Saturday from Monday, it's my hope that one day my Saviour I shall see. Though the day be dark and dreary, here's comfort for the weary. Not a great good poem, is it? Though the day be dark and weary, and there's comfort for the weary, we mean a lot to someone who died for you and me. I like that. Do you not like that? We mean a lot to someone, and it's everything to me, that to God his wayward children were worth a calvary were worth the cross here's a scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this but now in Christ Jesus you who once were afar away have been brought near through the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace he has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations his purpose was to create in himself 
one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and he brought us near by the blood of his cross. And that's what we're going to do now around the Lord's table. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. And he took the wine. Let's just give thanks for the bread. We thank you for this bread, Lord, that speaks of your broken body. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken your body and it was the sins of the world were placed upon that body, upon that tree, upon the cross. We say thank you, Lord, for doing that for us, that we were worth a Calvary. Thank you too for the wine that speaks of your shed blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Thank you for that. As we receive this bread and receive this wine, may we do so to the glory of your name, giving you thanks. Amen.